are in Luke's gospel, chapter 19. And we're going to be reading verses 11 through 27. And my title for the study today is Be About God's Business. Be About God's Business. Let's read this portion of scripture that we're going to get into this morning. It is Communion Sunday today, so we will be having communion at the end of service. So let's begin now, Luke chapter 19, beginning with verse 11. It says, Now, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable, because he was near Jerusalem, and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Therefore, he said, A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, Do business till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Master, your mina has earned me ten minas. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you are faithful in a very little, have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, You also be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Master, here is your mina, which I have kept away, put away in a handkerchief. For I feared you, because you were an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit, and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, Out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to him who has ten minas. But they say to him, Master, he has ten minas. For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given. And from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. Wow. Really cool. This, we, we've maybe been familiar with this parable before the parable of the talents is the one that i was mostly familiar to but as i was going to this minas one it was a little different than the parable of the talents and and he gives them different amounts of money but the the message is still here and i i think probably what's happening is jesus is giving now this parable at a different time in a different place and he's giving that same message to them a message that look i am about to leave because this is where Jesus is right now in the, in the point of the story. He is getting ready to go to the cross, to die for the sins of the world. And after that, he's going to go be buried and then resurrected. And then after a, a period of time, he's going to go ascend into heaven. And he's going to leave the disciples behind and also the, the world behind. 
And he is preparing their hearts, preparing their minds for the season that we live in now. So they were getting this message, but we're living now in it. And it's going to be an exhortation to us to how we are to be living today. They got the preparation, but we were born right into this era. So let's look at the first verse in verse 11. It says, now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable. Because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. So when they heard what things, first of all, is the first thing that comes to my mind as I'm reading this verse, as they heard what things. And, and I have to look back at, at the few verses before when Jesus was ministering to Zacchaeus and he began to share with Zacchaeus salvation. In verse 10, just a, a little bit ahead of where we're at, it says, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. You see, salvation was going to come through Jesus, through the Messiah. And that was the, the whole mission of Jesus. And he is now headed to the cross at this point in his life. So these are the things, when he's referring to them, he's relaying this message about the cross that's to come. And I have underlined, they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. You see, the people around him, they believed that the glorious reign of Christ was going to take place here on this earth during Jesus' time on the earth. So when Jesus appeared, he was the Messiah. Their long-awaited Messiah came. They were like, all right, we're under captivity to Rome right now. And now our Messiah comes. So Jesus, the Messiah, is probably going to overthrow the Roman government for us. And we're going to be out of captivity but Jesus knows it's not that time. I'm reminded that sometimes in our life, we, we're expecting that Jesus is going to overturn the American government. Which to a point, yes, we do pray for revival, absolutely. But for the most part, I believe that if Jesus is coming soon, since he is coming soon, I should say, that America is falling away. America's not in the end times. We're not mentioned in the Bible, per se. And so I have to wonder, well, what, what's going on then? And what I see is, is the return of Christ is imminent. And Jesus, at this time, when he's with the disciples, knowing he's going to leave them, he knows their hearts are expecting him to overturn Ro the Roman government. And now he has to kind of redirect their attention he has to get their attention and direct them on what is eternal and what is the eternal plan for this and what he's really going to do. Remember when he, he would speak to them, when he was in his last moments with the disciples, he would say, look, I'm going to leave and I know that you guys are sorrowful in your heart because I'm telling you that I'm going to leave. And, but Jesus would explain to them, look, it's better that I go because if I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you the helper. Right now, we're learning about the gifts of the Spirit on Wednesday nights. And, and it's really cool to see just the different categories of gifts that there are and how we as believers can grow in these gifts and that the gifts were intended for the edification of you guys so that you guys can grow in your gifts so you guys can edify one another. 
those spiritual gifts about of, of prophecy, of leading, of teaching, of helps, the gifts of hospitality, of administration. And, and I see that. We're going we're gonna to get a little bit into that even later. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. But this whole season that the disciples are in leads me to point one. Point number one, Jesus will return soon. In verse 12 we read, it says, Therefore... He said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. Okay, so now this is, he starts off his parable. And in the parables and the stories that Jesus would tell, remember the purpose of a parable? It was an earthly illustration to teach a heavenly truth. The parable is an earthly illustration to teach a heavenly truth. And that was to help the disciples understand a little bit deeper about what heaven was like. Now, Jesus, when he ascended into heaven after his death, and then after his resurrection, he was seated at the right hand of the Father. So he starts off his parable saying, the certain nobleman, which the certain nobleman is Jesus, went into a far country, and that far country is going to be the heavenly realm. Jesus, when he goes into heaven after he dies on the cross, resurrects, and then ascends into heaven, he was seated at the right hand of the Father. We know this because John chapter 3, verse 35 says, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. So who's on the throne? Jesus is on the throne. Jesus is still in control of our lives. He's still sovereign over all. And then the, the glorious thing is that, look, God the Father gave his son Jesus all things. He said, okay, I'm going to give you, my son, all things, and you're going to be sovereign over them. And then we learn in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, that we also receive these. It says in Ephesians 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. See, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Now, notice it's, it's not every earthly blessing. Me and my wife would love that right now if we could just get every earthly blessing. We went and saw four houses yesterday to try to we got we got or we were trying to move and we saw four houses and and the doors were like all shut on all these houses for us and we're just like okay not this one and and we're like okay we're praying right now there's a little bit of a of, of a timer on us which was a blessing because i feel like the lord is like nudging us out of the out of the nest now but we're not guaranteed every earthly blessing in life we're not and, and if God wants us to, to go somewhere else, that, that's fine with us. We're saying, Lord, what, whatever you want, whatever you decide. Because it isn't every temporary blessing. And sometimes we get our eyes so fixed on this life today that, and we forget that there's a whole eternity that God has prepared for us and we're not pouring into eternity. When, when this verse is talking about that we've gained every spiritual blessing, He's talking about the justification that Jesus gives us. He removes sins from our life. 
He talks about the peace of the Holy Spirit coming into our life that goes beyond understanding. That we've been adopted into the family of, of Jesus. That we've been sanctified and that we've been given eternal life. And that's not it. That's not where it ends. We have received these blessings. And then again, we read in that verse, in verse 2. I'm sorry, not verse 2. In verse 12. A certain noble man went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So Jesus went to that far kingdom, that heavenly realm, but he's coming back. See, Jesus has been revealing this truth all along. From the time that he was with his disciples to now. Are, are you guys staying uh, in, in tune with, with, with Bible prophecy today about current world events that are going on? Are you guys watching uh, the news about what's happening in Ukraine and Russia? Russia's gearing up for war against Ukraine. What's interesting right now is that some really prophetic nations right now, such as Israel, UAE, the United Arab Emirates, and Saudi Arabia, they're in headlines right now. When you just search that on, on, on Google, I'll just read for you guys some of the, the top headlines that come up within the last two days, yesterday and today. From Reuters, it says in one headline, Israel says it hopes for ties with Saudi Arabia. I'll explain why that's important. Secondly, another article that pops up. The Pentagon, that's the U.S., sends warships and planes to the UAE and Saudi Arabia. Okay? That's another article. Another article, the third one I, I saw was Israel, the UAE, draw closer on security amid threat from Iran, its allies. So right now, there are missiles that have been fired into the UAE. I'll tell you where it's from. I'll take a picture of it. The Iraqi militia attacked early in the morning Abu Dhabi with UAVs. So now you're like, what, what's, what's going on though? It's a little confusing with all the different countries and territories. You have these Middle Eastern countries, such as Iraq, firing into the UAE. And now Israel is partnering up with the UAE, the United Arab Emirates, where before it wasn't always happening. Now, what's super interesting is that when you read Ezekiel chapter 38, it talks about how Dedan and Sheba are going to intercept an attack from the nations of Gog, Rosh, and Meshech. That attack is going to be aimed towards Israel, but Dedan and Sheba are going to intercept that and be like, hey, what are you guys doing? You guys coming to attack? Now, when you look at who Dedan is, Dedan is Saudi Arabia today. And whereas before Israel and Saudi Arabia weren't the closest friends, now they are. And does anyone know when Saudi Arabia and Israel became very close friends? There was something that happened in the year 2020 that was kind of monumental for, for this joint partnership for these countries. The Abraham Accords, which was a, a landmark for Israel 
and these Palestinian nations. Now, do you guys know who, who signed that, that accord, the Abraham Accords? Trump did. Trump, the prime minister of Israel, and certain prime ministers of the UAE. What's super interesting is we have the, that was, Trump was the 45th one, right? The 45th president signing into to law this treaty between Israel and these Arab nations where they're now, in Saudi Arabia and Israel are now linked together like Bible prophecy said that Dedan is going to join with Israel, whereas before they weren't so much. And now the 46th president is gearing up the entire nation for, for World War III, what it seems like. Because when you take some power out of what's happening in the world, now all of a sudden Russia's starting to gear up because they're like, okay, USA, the, the, the big guns are, are kind of like backing off in their power, so we're going to go try to be a bully to Ukraine. And the chess pieces are moving, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you guys are awake. Fasten your seatbelts, click it in, because we're moving forward now into what's to come. So this is exciting. This is why we need to take our walks very seriously right now. Because the time is short. The time is at hand. God bless you. Jesus bless you. And the Holy Spirit. <laughs> In verse 13, remember, so the nobleman goes away to a far country, but he is going to return. And then in verse 13, so he called 10 of his servants and delivered to them 10 minas and said to them, do business till I come. Which leads me to my second point this morning. Jesus gave us his business. He has left it in our charge. These minas that were, were money back then were distributed to these 10 men. And people, when they received these, not everyone gets the same gift. Not everyone maybe even gets the same amount in the spiritual illustration and i'm reminded look jesus is giving us our own separate works to do our own separate businesses our own separate spiritual calling and this is what the church body is and we all have different calls we all have different talents and skills that god uses and i like that because if everyone was a mouse then who's going to listen everyone is hands, then who's going to do the walking? But we're all different parts of the body, the eyes, the hands, and we have different functions, and it's all beautiful together. So don't be sad if you feel like a foot. You're useful. And God needs us, each and every single one of us. And it's actually the places that are shameful that we protect the most that we watch over and, and, and we care for those things as God does. Do you guys know the purpose of the church? Why, why the church is here on this earth? We learn about that in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. It says, And he himself, that's Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints 
for the work of ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. So, you see, this is why my, my biggest goal isn't to do outreach evangelism uh, activities. That's not my biggest goal. My biggest goal is to equip the saints here. Because you guys are going to be the evangelists. And you guys are going to do evangelism and teaching and, and leading in your life. Do I think evangelism is important? Absolutely. I know we're all called to be evangelists. And I see that when you have a healthy body of believers, healthy sheep beget healthy sheep. So as the Lord is ministering to us, if we continue to grow in the word, then it's going to naturally occur that evangelism comes forth from that. So I don't have to create some sort of church plan in order to get people to come inside these seats. It's just give people the word. Let them grow. Let them feed. Because it would be terrible for me to try to make every single one of you a pastor, a teacher. It'd be terrible for me to just say, okay, you're going to be a worship leader and you don't have that calling in your life. Especially the voice, if you don't have that voice. I'm just kidding. In the Great Commission, Jesus said to his disciples, Matthew 28, 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. See, he didn't say go and make pastors of all the nations. He said make disciples. And everyone can be a disciple of Jesus. And this is why Redeemed Church Fellowship is a Bible-teaching church. You know, there's other ministries that are out there too. That's not just Redeemed Church Fellowship. That's the only, we're not the only ones who are, who are right. Sometimes with different denominations, people get ideas that, that were so far spread apart, but we're all the body of Christ. And I believe that denominations were intended by God. Because some people need that experience of having a worship session that's very highly emotional. And then other people really need to, to feel like there, there's this respect and, and solemn holiness that's given to God so they, they kind of chill out during their worship. Now, maybe you've heard this before. I'll tell you guys an illustration of what I do not want for you guys to experience when you get to heaven. I told this on Wednesday night. But when you guys go to heaven, this is what I don't want. I, when you, you go, you're entered, you're entering, you see the pearly gates, and you're like, oh, flying in the light. And then you get there, and then Peter, the apostle, is there, and he's like, oh, he's got the keys. He's like, come on, I'll check you into your mansion. And you're like, oh, wow, this is cool. And then you start walking in down the hall, the halls of heaven. You're like, oh my gosh, this is so beautiful. And then you, you pass by the first room and you see this huge like stadium full of people dancing and singing and they're waving flags and they're worshiping Jesus. And you're like, whoa, you're like, what, who is that? What's going on in there? And they're like, oh, those are the Pentecostals. Like they like to do worship like that. And then you're like, oh, okay, okay right on. And he's like, come on, keep going this way. Your mansion's over here. So you're like, okay, you're following him. And then you go past another room and, and it's just like this low kind of really peaceful like, oh, singing you're like what, what and you see all these people and no one's moving they got their 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 heads bowed and they're not even their hands are like this 
and they're just singing hymns, and you're just like, whoa, like, oh, this one's really nice. What is, what is that? And he's like, those are the Baptists. You just so you let, you know, sh- but like, you know, they like to be, stay quiet, so we're just going to keep moving on. He's like, come on, your, your room's this way. And then you go about past another room, and then as you see this other, th- like a really small room, you're like, what, what is that? Who, who is that? And some people you see raising their hands, other people like this, some people singing, some people not. And you're like, who, who are they? And he's, you're, the guy, Peter's like, hey, shh, shh, that's Redeemed Church Fellowship. They don't know anybody else is here, so shh, just keep walking. I don't want that to happen to you. See, there's a huge body of believers that are out there. We're not the only ones who are saved, and we're not the only ones fighting the good fight. And there's a different community. People have different ways of, of doing ministry. But I just know that we're the ones who do it right. I'm just kidding. <laughs> totally kidding. Uh, to, the, to a point. Uh, I know that there are God's chosen people out there. It's not just us. So that's why I'm not out trying to fight and pull other people out of their denomination. I'm not. I think it's a beautiful thing. And this is the whole body of the church that Jesus has left to do his business. He said, do business till I come. And even at Jesus as a little boy, remember he was about his father's business. Because when Mary and Joseph, they went to go for the, the Passover feast. And then as they were coming back home, all of a sudden they're, they're with a group of people and all, they, they kind of lose track of little Jesus. And, and they're going and, and they start to notice, wait a second, wh- where is Jesus? Where is our son? And they're like, oh my gosh. And they start getting worried. So they run back to Jerusalem and they find him in the temple. And he's talking to the rabbis. And he's telling them these things of God and the rabbis are so amazed by Jesus' knowledge. And his mom asks him, why did you leave us? And he says, don't, don't you know, mother, mother, that I should have been about my father's business? And when he says that I would be about my father's business, he's showing he's no longer seeing Joseph as his main leader anymore, but he's seeing God the Father as the business that he's taking on. Jesus knew what his business needed to be about. He knew what his work was. That's why in John chapter 4, verses 31 through 34, there'd be a time when his disciples would wonder if Jesus had ate lunch. And his disciples in John chapter 4, his disciples would urge him saying, Rabbi, eat, verse 32. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So Jesus gave us that example about being about his father's business as we need to be. And the the illustration, God bless all of you. And the illustration of food is good. We realize when you do God's work, we are fulfilled. We're satisfied when we do God's work. When we're living that purpose-filled life, what God intended us to live as. In verse 14 of Luke's gospel, it says, But his citizens hated him 
and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. Which leads me to my third point this morning. The world will reject Jesus. So don't be surprised when we see that abortion continues on. Don't be surprised when we see that the LGBTQ is celebrated and the Bible is shunned. The world's going to reject the gospel. This nobleman, who is Jesus in this illustration, his own countrymen hated him. So what they did was they assembled together, this delegation, to plan rebellion against God. And most Israel, for the time, today, has rejected their Messiah. They don't believe that Jesus is God. They're still waiting for their Messiah to come, which is going to be the Antichrist. But God's not done with Israel. He's still got a whole awesome plan to redeem them because their eyes are going to be opened when the Antichrist goes and sits in the temple and says, I am God, worship me, committing the abomination of desolation. Their eyes are going to be opened and they're going to realize, no, this is not our God. This is not our Messiah. And the, the Antichrist is going to attack them at that point. But God's going to protect them. He's going to shield them. So society, what we're leading in, they want God out of the picture. They want God dead. And when you take the Bible out of society, when you take prayer out of schools, when you remove God from the culture, you have to replace God with something. So the next best thing that they replace God with is the Superman. And not, I'm not referring to the Mar DC comics. I'm referring to the humanist manifesto, the human ideas that we are the highest of the highs. And then the next thing that they start thinking about, well, what about Mother Nature? And you, see, you hear about that on the surf competitions all the time. Oh, Mother Nature was doing a really awesome uh, set for these guys today. And it's in our nature to worship something. And that's why people today, they want to worship the little chickens that are being, not being grass-fed. They want to make sure that it's, it's all about green and, and we're, we're moving towards green. Now, taking care of our earth is something we're called to do. Yes, absolutely. But then I, I see a contradiction when I see these vegetarians, these vegans, so, so to speak, that are okay with killing a baby, abortion, and it's all, it's pro-choice, which is really pro-murder. But then on the other hand, don't hurt my poor little chickens. Don't, don't kill the pigs. They need to roam free in their McDonald's happy farm life. And it's like, no, like, how, how are you going to say that the human life is of less value than the animals that God set underneath us? So we're either going to serve God or the devil. And if you're serving yourself, then you're serving the devil. Because there's not just, there's, there's no middle ground. Jesus said you are either for me or against me. So there has to be then the death to ourself. We have to die to ourselves and put God first in our life. 
And allow God to bring in that new life, that spirit-filled life where you are walking in the spirit, no longer obeying our fleshly desires. See, I used to think that I would never want to stop serving myself. I used to think that I would always want to do drugs and, and party and have a, a life of fornication. I thought that was going to be my heart, my life, and I was fighting for it in my life at a time. And God allowed me to be broken. He allowed me to come to the end of myself where, where I, wanted, I wanted to die at a certain point. And then, he wanted to sh- and then God allowed me to see that when I live his purpose-filled life, all of a sudden, he can change my desires. So I was like, wait a second, you mean I could actually desire holiness in my life? I can desire to do God's will in my life? I can desire to go to church? Because I used to think I will never want to go to church. Church is full of a bunch of weird people I just don't click with. Now I am that word person. And... and And I see when, when God allows his plan to be in my life, it's way better than what I wanted. It's way better than my plan. In verse 15, And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know how much every man had gained by trading So the nobleman was true to his word. He returns. And people scoff at at the idea that Jesus is coming back. They're like, oh, my grandma used to say that. They've been saying that Jesus was going to come back for X amount of years for so long, and he he still isn't here. I'm like, yeah, we're only a a few generations from your grandma, okay, first of all. (laughs) It's not that long in the eternal perspective. However, I know also that Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. See, Jesus is going to come back, but when he comes back, it's going to be in judgment. First, he's going to meet his church, take his church away in rapture. And when he comes back to this earth and sets his foot on the Mount of Olives, he's not coming back the same way he came. He's not coming back in the form of a a humble baby that's going to be born out of Bethlehem in a manger. He's coming back as a conqueror riding as as a horse, and we're going to be, as believers, riding alongside him in glorious battle. So this is why people need to get their life right. And and I see here that, look, if Jesus would have came back 12 years ago, I would not have been ready for his return because I wasn't saved at that point in my life. And so there's people sometimes where it's just like, oh, Jesus, just come back tomorrow. Or just come back after I have my first kid. And you see, sometimes we want Jesus to come back so quick, which it's it's a good thing to expect Jesus' return and want him to come back because we want to be with him. 
But think about all the people in our life who are not yet saved. Think about if, if Jesus would have came back before you gave your life to, to Christ. Where would we be today? We'd be in the Great Tribulation. Probably either having to get your head chopped off because you're not going to take the mark of the beast or submitting to the Antichrist and taking the vaccine. I mean, the mark of the beast. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. No, you guys know I'm not anti-vaccine. I'm just pro-Christ. All right. So the nobleman brings all the men together who he gave money to. And he wants to have an account now. He wants to see what they gained by trading, which the, the phrase to gain by trading, it means to thoroughly occupy oneself and to earn in business. So Jesus is coming back to take account. And I, I did find it interesting that he said gain by trading because I automatically thought of the stock, stock market. I don't know if you guys know this, but the stock market has been really terrible. Like it's had a very significant crash this year. And a friend of mine lost thousands of dollars. And he started to tell me, he's like, it's a good time for you to buy stocks because it's really low price right now. And I'm just like, uh, you just lost thousands of dollars. <laughs> he's, like, but he's like, yeah, but you could buy them really low. And uh, I'm, you know what? I, I know there's probably a, a way that people make lifestyles and whole careers out of the stock market. Um, but for myself right now and me and my wife, it's not a sure thing right now. To me, it's, it's a risk that I cannot take. And uh, one thing I know that is a sure thing, one thing that I know is a fixed risk, is that when you pour into the kingdom of God, you will reap a harvest. So you guys talk about the stock market? Let's talk about the spiritual market. Let's talk about the business that God's given us to pour into, which leads me to my fourth point this morning. Pour into the kingdom and reap. Pour into the kingdom and reap. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, Paul writes to the Galatian church, he says, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. See, sometimes we get tired in ministry. And we were learning about it this morning in our leadership that, look, the world is run by tired people. And that as leaders of our families, leaders of our churches, and leaders as Christians, we're going to get tired. And there's a calling in that. And I've been watching that as we've been pouring into the Lord's kingdom, that God's been providing. And it's a step of faith. When I kind of brought forth the idea to my wife about purchasing the, the, the lease on this building, there was an element of taking a step of faith that I saw her just go through in peace, which is crazy. So I'm like, okay, yeah, come marry me, and then we're, 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 we're going to just give you a building that you can't live in. <laughs> and I see how God has been providing for this place through you guys. God's used you guys and... and has put it in your hearts. Remember, like whenever I talk about tithing, I, I don't 
lock the doors and say, pass the basket around and we're not leaving. I sense that the Lord is telling me someone's going to donate $1,000 today. No, I don't do that, right? I just say, hey, if this is your home church and you want to give your tithe, which belongs to God, to God, we have that availability for you to do so. But you cannot outgive God. You can't. When you pour into his kingdom, that was the one thing that God said that you can test him in. That if when you pour into my temple, to my kingdom, that I will not open up the windows of heaven so that you get received so much so that you can't take it all in. And that's not always finances that you're receiving. It's not always the, the money side or, or it's not even sometimes in this life that you're going to receive it. Sometimes it's going to be in heaven that you receive that eternal greater blessing. But I have also seen that there's times in my life where it's like, man, Lord, I, I sense that you're calling me to, to put this a little bit more down right now. And when I do that, all of a sudden, like, boom, like the Lord's just like, I got you. Here's, here's like, you're taken care of financially right now. I'm just like, okay, God, thank you. Like, sends a little bit of a breather right there. And he's building my faith and allowing me to trust in him. And I see this and, and gets me really excited to see what God is doing here at Redeemed Church in Glendora. But you can also give your time. You can give your family to God. Invest in those things. Your plans, your dreams, your visions. Because sometimes we just think about tithing as, as just the finances, which that's a very important part. But if you're okay, God, I'm going to give you the finances, but my family I want to keep to myself, and I don't want to give my family to you, God. I don't want to give my plans to you, God. No, we need to give God everything, right? We were singing the song, you can have it all, God. And as we're singing that song, you can have it all, Lord, and all of a sudden, maybe that thing comes into your head of like, wait, wait, but not that, God, not that. You know, no, we need to say, God, you can have everything. From the thing that you care for the most, I think about Abraham and his son Isaac, his, his promised son that was from his body, from him and his wife Sarah who couldn't have a baby. They finally, God promised them a baby and they finally have one. And then God says, Abraham, I want you to give me your son, your only son. And Abraham's just like, bro, like how am I gonna do that? How am I gonna, gonna take my only son that I love and put him on the altar? And in faith, because God promised that through his son Isaac that there was going to be nations born. So by faith, he said, okay, God, if you're telling me to give you my son in sacrifice, I'm going to take him and put him on the altar because I believe that you can bring him back to life. And he went by faith and he's right at the moment where he's about to kill his child with the knife in his hand The angel comes to him and says, Abraham, Abraham, do not harm the child for God knows your faith. He sees you. And it's like, steps of faith, right? Abraham's faith was tested. So give all these things in our life to God and watch him bless you. Watch him bless you in those areas. Continuing on, verse 16. Then came the first, saying, Master, your mina has earned me ten minas. And he said to him, 
Well done, good servant, because you were faithful in a very little. Have authority over ten cities. So the first servant comes to him. He was wise. He was responsible and expedient with the, the money that the nobleman gave him. So he's rewarded ten cities. And it's kind of interesting that God, God's now in this illustration giving them cities. Because the book of Revelation, as you go through it, you find out that when Christ returns, he's going to come back to earth. He's going to first conquer the armies that are going against Israel. He's going to have this big battle of Armageddon. And then there's going to be this whole rebuilding of the earth as we know it. And there's going to be then an era where justice and righteousness is on the shoulders of Jesus here on this earth. God is going to deal with evil. And it says that we will be made kings and priests and that we're going to be ruling with Jesus during this time. And so what's unique is he's giving them now 10 cities in this illustration. And I'm like, man, God, just, just give me Waikiki Oahu. I'm not trying to make bargains with God on this right now because if he just gives me that city, I'll be content. I'll just, I'm trying to, I'm just kidding. In verse 18, and the second came saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. And likewise, he said to him, you also be over five cities. And I notice here the, the different minas, which... By the way, minus, it's translated pound, and it's talking about the coins. It's, it's a pound, the coins. Remember the parable of the sower, how in Mark's gospel, this very similar parable, in Mark chapter 4, verse 20, it says, These are the ones sown on good ground, those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100-fold. So now with these two, first two servants, they took the minas, and they did work with it. And so much so that they then had more money to give Jesus when Jesus returned. And this is what it's talking about, that, that spiritual sowing. And when you sow spiritually, you will reap spiritually. Some 30-fold, some 60, some 100 and that's what, how they receive the word there. See, not everyone is called to be pastors and teachers, but we can all imitate Christ. In verse 20, then another came saying, Master, here is your mina, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief. For I, I feared you because you were an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. So this is who we don't want to be in this parable. See, the nobleman, Jesus, gave this man a talent, but the gift was hidden. It was put in a napkin. It wasn't used to glorify God, and it wasn't put in a place where it could grow. It was put in a place where it would just be hidden in, in a napkin, a handkerchief. Speaking of napkins. God is known here as an austere man. He's harsh. He's rigid. I'm reminded that God has given us a gift. He's given us a light to shine to this world. And, and I see that in Mark chapter 4. 
In Mark chapter 4, verses 21 and 25, it says, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not set on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. See, God has given us the light of the world, of, of Christ, who is the light of the world. And we're not supposed to take Jesus and then just hide him. But we're supposed to let him shine through our life. And then in verse 24 of that same chapter, it says, Then he said to them, Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken away from him. So we have the knowledge and wisdom of salvation in our life. And every spiritual blessing that we learned about in Ephesians. And we're scared to let God use us. We're scared to let God's light shine through our life sometimes. So this is my exhortation, my encouragement, is let God use your gifts. Let God use your talents. Let's not hide it. Because there's going to be people who said, who knock on the door and say, Lord, Lord, I, I, I prophesied in your name. I cast demons out in your name. And Jesus is going to say to them, he says, depart from me. I never knew you. So does Jesus know you? Maybe some of us know Jesus, but does Jesus know you? Do you have that relationship where he knows you, where he speaks to you? And this leads to my fifth point, my last point of the study. What will you do with Jesus? It's a question I want to leave you guys with. What will you do with Jesus? In verse 22, it says, And he said to him, Out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And there's going to be a day when Jesus will judge, when he will return. And he's going to ask us, what did you do with my son Jesus? You guys, when you experience a wedding, do you guys know who has the hardest job of a wedding? The hardest job? In my opinion, it's the father of the bride. That father has to take his precious daughter, who's raised and trained his whole life, her whole life, and then give it to some schmuck who's got a dollar and a dream and say, you're in charge over my daughter now. The father of the bride has to experience that. He's got a hard job that day. See, the church is the bride of Christ. And God the Father, Jesus, is our groom. We know that. And Jesus has left the groom in waiting and put the bride of Christ now in charge of guys like me and other spiritual leaders. And you guys now also have people who are under you. Men, you guys have wives that you are to care for because you're going to present your wives one day as a spotless one to Jesus. So you have, we have a strong calling there. 
And women, you guys have under you also children. And other women who are looking to you as discipleship that you are in charge over. And you realize now that those people that God has placed underneath you are the bride of Christ. And how do you want to present the bride to the groom? How do we want to do that? So there's a responsibility now that you guys have in your life. So let's take that fully and ask God to help us with it. In verse 24, and he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to him who has 10 minas. But they said to him, master, he has 10 minas. For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given and from him who does not have even what he has will be taken away from him. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them here. See, this is the justice, the wrath of God. I recognize that one day God is going to defeat evil. And the, the wrath of God isn't a church highlight that I usually promote, like, oh, come to our church where we can learn about the wrath of God, which is a truth. We do learn about the, God, the wrath of God. And it's something to take seriously because God is just. But know that this one day God is going to defeat evil. And God has a, a plan. It's a cosmic plan for evil that he's going to do away with it. You can read all about that in Revelation chapter 21. God's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. And God has a calling for you now. So what are you going to do with Jesus? Let us pour into the kingdom. Let us reap that harvest, that spiritual harvest. Recognize that the world is going to reject Jesus. So in the meantime, let us be about Jesus' business. Because Jesus is coming back soon. Amen. Let us pray.